and uh, pray and get started. All right. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also uh, will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that the epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning uh, to get into your word. And we pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, through your word, by your spirit. God, that we would hear what we need to hear. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Lord, show us what we need to know, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for these words, these preserved uh, scripture that is, that's so beneficial for us, God. So help us to um, be attentive to your spirit's leading and what you want to do in our lives, um, that we'd hold nothing back, and we'd, that we could be that blameless, that we would be able to be preserved, that we'd be able to follow you and honor you with our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Verse 23 again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's praying for this church. He's broken into prayer multiple times already at this point. Uh, And it's very clear, Paul is a man of prayer. Like he breaks into prayer while he's even talking about stuff. Like he just goes there. He just immediately goes into that spot. He's been, but his goal for this church, and, and again, if you're new, this church was established in three weeks. It was, uh, and then Paul had to go. He knew the persecution would be heavy. So he was praying and encouraging and exhorting him. Guys, it's going to come. The persecution's coming. Stand strong. And they have stood strong. They are, they've been faithful and Timothy's brought back report that, that good things are happening. So Paul's been encouraging, he's been exhorting, and he's been loving this really remarkable church, right? That's, that's established in three, what can we establish in three weeks, right? Like, not even a habit, right? <laughs> but it's pretty amazing. God had done this really cool work. So he's been reminding them of things like living differently, right? Um, and he talks about like the way you live sexually, where uh, this culture was, was completely perverse. They'd grown up in, in an absolutely opposite uh, spectrum for what they were called to do, which is a good reminder to us, even as the culture degrades in so many ways, we are still called to live out the biblical reality of what is before us, and that's the blessing. So Paul's reminding them of that and, and encouraging them, them in that, that even if you grew up in this culture, doesn't mean that that is an excuse. Get out of that. Don't don't let that be, you know, uh, holding you back or, or uh, like, I guess, shaping you or making you who you are, uh, that you have a higher authority than the authority of culture, which is a good reminder for all of us. Uh, to be mindful of the return of Christ. This gets brought up over and over again, it's, and it's meant to encourage. He says, tell this to one another, comfort one another, encourage one another with these words, but don't use the return of Christ as a reason to be lazy. Don't get yourself stuck in a place of senioritis, Right? where you just kind of like let it go, right? Is anybody, who's familiar with the term senioritis? Yes, a few of you, right? Which it's just like by the second semester, you're just done, right? And it's kind of like the teachers know this too. 
they're just like, let's not even give them much work to do because they're just probably not going to do it. I mean, there's a ditch day. I mean, it's just like, you know, I'll be honest, if it wasn't for sports, you know, it just would have completely let it go, you know. But it's, so it's a thing, right? So he's saying, don't let that be you guys. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Mind your own business, right? And, and make sure that you're a light because you're not children of the dark, that are going to be taken by surprise, but you're children of the light. So make sure your light is shining bright. So even as the day of the Lord is coming, uh, obviously we now know, looking back almost 2,000 years later, it did not come in their lifetime, right? And if we look throughout history, we can see person after person after, you know, generation after generation after generation really thinking it's going to happen in their lifetime. And, and that's understandable. And I think that kind of uh, attention and even uh, awareness is really important for us to remember how we ought to live, right? That, hey, Jesus could be coming back any minute, right? Uh, and, and we don't want, you know, what the bumper sticker might say uh, to be our anthem. Uh, Jesus is coming, look busy, right? That's not the point, right? The point is, Jesus is coming, live in a manner to win as many men and women as possible to Christ by your conduct, that the gospel would be in unison with your life. So Paul's reminded them of all this, and he's, he's been encouraging them. So now he says, may the God uh, of peace himself sanctify you completely. Um, the God of peace, you go, okay, that's an interesting, there's lots of times God is, is called these different attributes. Uh, we don't have to go far to find that he's the God of peace. He is the one that made peace between sinful mankind and himself in holiness, and it was through the person of Jesus. He's come to bring us peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, right? The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. So peace is a big deal with God. And peace is something we all desire, right? And, and, and a lot of us, we don't know where to go. Where can we find peace? Peace for the world. Peace for ourselves. Peace to be able to sleep at night. We're anxiety riddled, you know? It's like we're going through all that. So God, remembering that the God of peace himself is the one who's sanctifying us. May he sanctify us completely, right? So... The idea of being sanctified is to be set apart. He's looking to sanctify us completely, set us apart, dedicate us to him. Remember, uh, does anybody remember, we've talked about this before, what the term holy means? What does holy mean? Set apart or dedicated, right? Dedicated to something, right? Remember the temple, all the, all the things they had to do, the tabernacle and the temple and, and the plates and all the different things. And, and what's the difference between a common plate and a holy plate is what? It's been dedicated before the Lord. So it's been sanctified. So a common plate can become a holy plate, just like us. So a common person can become a holy person by being dedicated before the Lord. So what we do, we don't do infant baptism here. We do, we dedicate our kids to the Lord, right? And we bring them up and we, we, the parents come and they pray for them. So we're saying like, we're dedicating them. Now it will be up to that child to choose for themselves to be dedicated. But as parents, we recognize, God, you know what's best. We're going to dedicate this child to you before the Lord. We're saying before the church, look, 
uh, and this is a commitment where we're saying we are choosing to raise him or her in, the, in following Jesus. Keep us accountable and have our back. Help us, right? That's the idea of dedicating before the Lord. So holiness, so he's looking to sanctify us completely. He himself is doing it. That's what's important to understand. It's not like we have to just clean ourselves. He is looking to do it. He's looking for men and women who are willing to be dedicated, though, before him so he can set us apart. And it's God that makes the difference, right? It's God that makes it clean or not clean before him. So God himself, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, what, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole person. This is like three distinct parts of the person, right? And what are they? The first one is spirit, right? The Greek word is pneuma. Uh, it's non-material, right? So in a sense, kind of like essence of mind, but really it's God consciousness. That's the spirit. It's like this God conscious part of us and, and God reveal this is the spirit is so that's what the spirit is so vital in the life of a believer because it leads us into all truth it's God's encounter in our life personally right so we're dealing with the spirit and it's it's really important I just was read, uh, writing um, for my my schooling we've been doing doctrinal statements and I I did one on general and special revelation. Um, and, and the idea, you're like, isn't there only one book? It's not the book of Revelation, but it's how God reveals himself to people. And the idea is that general revelation is how God reveals himself on a grand scope. This is like nature. This is like, there's something that is in us, like creation and our conscious and conscience and all these different things. Stuff that is naturally in us. But special revelation is when God himself speaks to us, right? And this would be through a dream, through scripture, through uh, just something that it's like a divine encounter. I, I was trying to remember if I've told the story or not, because I don't always write down my stories. Did I tell you the story about the guy in the Philippines that went to the, uh, a village of cannibals? Okay, that would be fun, right? Uh, it was actually uh, our professor, Gary, was talking about. He was a missionary in the Philippines, and his neighbor there, who was a just a, a World War II vet and real just straightforward, not at all hyper-charismatic or hyper-emotional, um, was in the village one day. I might butcher it a little, but you'll get the point. He was in the village one day, and, and there was this uh, wanted sign for this guy who was the chief of this, of this village, and they were just ruthless. And so they were looking for this guy, and he saw it, and God spoke to him and said, you need to find this man and tell him I've sent my son to, to make things right, or something like that, something along those lines. And he's like, that's interesting. And he's like looking at it going, all right. And so he decides to go for it, gets these people, get on the boat. They need like multiple layers of translator to even speak because it's like all the tribal kind of stuff, you know. So he gets to him, <clears throat> and he meets the people. They find him. Somehow they find him, and he's thinking, as soon as he sees him, he's thinking, I'm dead. You know, because <laughs> he's thinking, I put myself in a really, really hor horrific situation here. And so he gets off the boat, and he walks over to them, and he says, uh, hi, uh, I'm here to tell you about how God sent his son to make things right, something along those lines. 
And they said, basically through the translators, come with us. You come meet the chief. And so they come in, and the chief, I guess, had just lost his son in a battle between another village, uh, another, like, their rivals. And he was just starting to ponder life. And it was like his conscience was getting to him. Uh, that like how messed up everything was was getting to him. The culture he grew up in, he was starting to question some of it. And so uh, it had been basically revealed to him, someone's going to come and show you uh, and tell you about my son who came to make things right. So this white guy shows up, tells him about Jesus. The whole village is saved in a day. Special revelation. And he says, this isn't the guy who makes up stories. This isn't like the TBN guy. God bless the TBN. You know what I'm saying. But like, uh, this is like a real dude, you know? And this is how God can choose to reveal it. But he says the idea is it starts with general, then it goes to special. God reveals himself in a way where you're going, wow, I want to know more about this God. And then he comes through in some way or another to tell you that it's Jesus, this is all about Jesus. That's why people in Iran and Afghanistan and, and China and North Korea are having dreams about Jesus and they're coming to Christ. And they're like, I, okay, now I know Jesus is, what's next? You know? So it's God revealing himself. So the spirit works on that kind of a personal level. That's why when Jesus said, when I go, it's better for you because I, you know, I'll send my spirit. It'll help you. It'll lead you into truth. It'll convict the world of sin. That's the spirit, Right? It's God consciousness, soul, uh, or a siku, or it's like the, our psyche, right? The being of our, our life. It, it, it kind of references our desires or our motives or lust. It's like the things we like want out of life. It's kind of the medium between spirit and body. Self-consciousness, it's, it's our ego, kind of like inner man, right? So it's like spirit's like way deep. Then soul, it's like a little more emotive, right? Uh, and then body, which is soma, is like our physical, you know, what we interact with. How we relate day to day. This is the way we, we touch, we taste, we move, right? And, it's a, and it's a, it's our physical, our body, is a, a reflection of our soul and our spirit, right? It, it all works together, but it's like God is looking to completely redeem, restore, uh, and sanctify all of it so that even our desires are brought right, so that even our bodies are brought right, right? So the idea is, man, we might have a lot of issues or have had a lot of issues with our ego, motives, lust, all of these things God has come to make those things right through the working of the Holy Spirit to change all those motives, and then our body follows. Problem is, when you're trying to get your body to do something that your soul's not convinced of, and your spirit, and the spirit hasn't been revealing, then you have issues. It's, 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 hip, it's hypocrisy. It's fake. It's lying. So there's an inner transformation that really does take place, and God himself is the one that does it. So that, and, and the goal is that they'd be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The idea of blameless, you're like, too late, I'm to blame. Right? And that really starts to deal with real issue of what is blameless? What is, how, do, how does that even make sense? Right? How do you say purified or perfect or, or any of these things? When we're dealing with people, you're like, I don't know a perfect person. And the more I get to know people, the more I know they're not perfect. 
So the idea of being blameless is not that we don't sin, it's how we react to sin. You read through the Old Testament, especially Genesis, it's just wild how crazy everything gets so quickly. And then, of course, there's the whole Abrahamic covenant, and God sets up this new thing. And, and so here's Abraham's descendants, and they are just a mess too, right? We could look at Isaac and say, yeah, it's not that much about Isaac, really. Yeah, he did pretty good. I mean, he was a favorite, favorited son, kind of was shady a couple times. Jacob was a full-on sneak, like what in the world, Right? You know, and then Jacob has all these sons, and he favorites the one, and then his other sons try and kill him, and all this and that. Where's that lineage going to go? What's interesting is, who, who's the line through Abraham? Where's the, the messianic line in all of the children of Israel? Who's it go through? Does anyone know? Judah. What do we know about Judah? Well, in the story of Joseph, it's like Genesis 37 through through or uh, 40, I think. Right in the middle of it, it's this weird story. It's about Judah, chapter 38, right? Judah and Tamar. Judah had a son. Son was, he, you know, had to marry Tamar. Son was wicked. God took him out. This other son was supposed to do his part uh, in having uh, kids for, you know, to redeem his brother's name through Tamar. And he, and he did some shady stuff. And the Bible's like a full-on, like, if you're reading this stuff, you're like, whoa, okay. Um, trust me, okay. Um, or read it for yourself if you like, you know, daytime TV. This is, you know, much better. Um, so, so this woman is, so he's like, oh, wait for my other son. He'll come up. And she's just like desperate. She's like, what do I do? And so he's going to go to the sheep shearers, which is like this apparently party. <laughs> you know, funny. What, let's go, he's going to the sheep shearers. Are you kidding me, dude? I got so wasted at the sheep shears. Okay, so he goes to this thing, and Tamar shows up. She takes off her grieving clothes, and she wraps herself up in, in a veil, and he thinks she's a prostitute, and he says, hey, I want to, you know, be your customer. She has, he has no idea it's her. So, you know, whatever. The transaction happens, and, you know, he doesn't have any payment, and he says, I'll bring you back this goat. In the meantime, hold on to my signet which would be like probably a seal that you wear around your neck that kind of says who you are. And then, and then my staff, which would also be very representative of who you are. It tells, you who, tells people who you are. And it's something he would absolutely want back. So that's the deal. He leaves. He comes, he comes or they sends out for the goat to try and get his stuff back. Can't find her. It's like, okay, whatever. Finds out Tamar's pregnant, right? He's like, you know, oh my gosh. So verse 24 of chapter 38, this is important. Okay, it all ties in. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Right. What happens next? When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shelah, my son. And he never knew her again. So what happens? She says, this is the guy. This is the guy I'm pregnant by. And he realizes, obviously, it's him. 
He has a big, big time decision at this point to make. And he chooses really wisely. Out of all of his really bad decisions, he's made a good decision. And I think it is because of his repentance and his, the way he deals with this sin when it's really revealed to him. I mean, it's a, it is a heinous sin. But he actually, when he's confronted with it, he deals with it well. And he says, you're more righteous than I am. No more blame shifting. No more of that junk. He says, I am messed up. I have ruined. And so what does he do? He, he's like, he's, he's, at, he's, it's, he's looking for forgiveness. And then what? It says he never touches her again. So he repents. He asks for forgiveness. And then he repents. His life changes. He doesn't just say it. He means it. And I think it's a change in Judah. And it's this idea of repenting well of sin. It's not that you sin or don't sin. It's what you do when you're caught in the midst of sinning. That's where everything gets way messed up. And you go, well, that kind of sounds like a license. Oh, it's not if you sin or don't sin. No, you understand, from this point on, Judah didn't touch her again. He repented, and the repentance was real. His mind had been changed about what he had done. You look at Saul and David, and you'd say Saul actually did less heinous things than David did. But Saul did not repent when he was confronted. He doubled down. Right? He doubled down and, and he started trying to protect and, and he became paranoid and all this stuff. David, obviously, he made a mistake, made it much, much worse. And then he was confronted and he realized, I'm paying for this one. It's a man after God's own heart and you go, how in the world? We said it last week, right? We, we couldn't hire David at a church. But yet, it was his repentance, you know, and, and then he, he loses his son, and then he gets up, and he's like, okay, I'm done mourning. I've done my mourning. We're moving forward, and then, of course, he did. He paid for the sin. He recognized it, not paid for it. Jesus paid for it, right? And as far as he paid the consequences, it happened. There's still consequences. But it's how we deal with it, and this is a big deal, Right? Because our natural inclination, it's found in the first sinners, Adam and Eve. It's to hide, to cover up, and to blame shift. What did Judah do? Well, you came out, you know, and you were wearing the veil. You know the veil, you know. No. He says, he recognized it, he saw it, and he says, I'm a mess. You're so much better than I am. I, I treated you so dirty, and I've been convinced. It's not, he, he, so Judah responds correctly to his vile sin. He recognizes it. He follows it with true repentance. He was still used. It's all about our response towards sin. Because if we think it's about never sinning, it's going to make us real weird with each other. Because you're going to be like trying to hold off the fact that you're still, we're still in the fight. We're still, but it's that repentance. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Honesty, transparency, realness. I'm in sin, I've messed up, I've, I've blown it, God forgive me. So that's the idea of God sanctifying us and making us blameless. So you go, how am I blameless? Well, to be blameless, you're going to need the righteousness that comes from Jesus. And how do we accept that and receive that? By being honest and real and saying, God, I need you. 
bad. Isn't this good news? It's, it's, such, it's such bad news to hear that you've got to fake it until somehow you're going to weasel your way into figuring out how to do it, but in the meantime, keeping up the lie, but not lying. You're not allowed to lie, but you kind of have to keep up the lie. And, and the, it's like, oh my gosh, it's freedom. It's the reality of the gospel in Jesus. All right, enough on that. That's one verse. Um, but that's the long verse, I guess, the same. But it's all about our response to our sin, guys. Seriously, that's a big deal. Because um, that, that's what we all have to deal with every day. I blew it today. What do I need to do about that? I have a choice. I can cover it up. I can ignore it. I can blame it on someone else. Or I can own this sucker and be, and be like, I blew it. I'm sorry. No excuse. That was me. You know how refreshing that is when you run into people like that? You're like, I just want to be around you. You think it's the opposite. People want to be around someone who's perfect. They're like, they're, no, they don't because no one's perfect. But they do want to be around people who are honest and transparent and blameless before the Lord. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He who calls you is faithful. He supplies the power to will and to do. He gives you everything you need. He calls you and he is faithful. If you don't think you can change, and that's a big issue. I don't, just don't think I can change. I don't think I can, I don't think I can ever get rid of this one thing. You've got to remember that the, that the God who parts the seas and raises the dead is the one who says he can do it. If he can do that, he can do this. Right? So uh, a lot of times it's like, I can't do that. You, know, you can't. He can. Right? It is amazing what God can do when he transforms a life. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, it can be so crazy different. I have some friends who, uh, so friends of friends of the um, guy, Brian Head Welch, who was in Corn, the band Corn, um, and, and he was on drugs and, and absolutely a wreck and suicidal and all this and that. And then Jesus miraculously came into his life. And he has been hardcore following Jesus now for years, right? And, and, and even, you know, because his background was way, way dark. And it's people don't know what to do with it. And then the bassist of the band got saved too. He lived by us in Orange County. We'd see him every once in a while at stuff. You know, they're not like, hey, what's up? We didn't give high fives or anything, but I'm like, hey, I know who that guy is. But it's pretty wild. God can change. Paul was a perfect example of that. Remember, he killed Christians. So he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Again, this is where we submit to him. And that's where when we're not real about our sin or honest about our sin or transparent about our sin, it, we think we have to fix it. We cannot fix it. You've got to just let go. You ever have it with your kids and they're like trying to do this one thing and you're like, if you would move and let me do it, I could do this in two seconds. But you're not even close to fixing it. You're not even in the same, you're, that doesn't even go there. That's not, not where you're supposed to be. And, and it's like the more frustrated that you get, the more you're like, just let go. I'll show, and then I'll show you how. And then, you know, then you'll, you'll be able to understand that. You'll be able to walk in that. Same thing, God wants us to, to surrender to him. How do we surrender to him? It's usually when we realize we are, we are 
in more need of help than we would have ever thought we were. I need more help than I thought. I'm more desperate than I thought. I'm, I'm more wicked than I thought. That's Judah. That's David, right? That's Paul. You know, who are you, Lord? <laughs> it's Peter. And the fish, come, when, you know, when they're pulling up the nets, and he's like, depart from me, I'm wicked. I mean, it's like, it's a glimpse. Oh, wow. All right, whatever the program is, I'm, you want, I'm there. I'm following you. So he says, he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. These are his closing words. I'm, I'm remind, he's reminding them. He's faithful. He'll do it in you if you let him. Brethren, pray for us. Love this. Pray for us. It's a humble and real request. Pray for us. We need your prayers. We're not above you. I need your prayers. I'll just say it. Pray for us. Can you pray for us, please? Pray for, I'm praying for you. Will you pray for me? We'll pray for each other. You know, I um, probably told this before, the story, I'll say it quick. Uh, when I was an intern at the packing house, I remember Greg O'Pine was this name I knew from Bible college. He was out in Hungary, and he'd come back. And uh, I didn't really know him very well, but he treated me like I was his friend right away. He's just like a super nice guy, which I, I'd, I'd met some pastors that were like, thought maybe they were more celebrity than pastor. Uh, he wasn't like that. And he says, hey, bro, can you come pray for me? I'm about to go up there and speak three services in a row. And I'm like, sure. Do intern prayers work, you know, up there? You know, I don't know. You know, I'm like new, right? And I just was so blown away. Like he brought me in and we got to talk and, and I got to pray for him. And it became a really good relationship. I get to speak out there often. I'm going actually right after Christmas again to go speak for him. And, and he's come here and I, I just, I, I really love that guy. But I'd see him in between services, and he'd be like, pray for me, bro. Like, come on, you know. And as he's talking to people, I'm like, all right, dude. And I, it's just something about that. It's like, first of all, it's humble. Second of all, it, it means you believe in prayer. If you don't ask for it, then it's like, eh, I don't really think it does anything. And I don't want to seem weak. It's like, no, I am weak, and I know it does something, so please pray for us. Paul is praying not just for them, asking for them to pray for him. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Um, we're, we haven't done enough of that. I'm just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. But that's a thing. That was a cultural thing, obviously. But it's of affection. Love one another, right? I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Read it to all. Love one another and read it all. Let it be circulated. 2,000 years ago, this was written. Almost 2,000 years ago. This is one of the earliest epistles, if not the earliest. And we're still reading it today. It's still in circulation. Right? Does anyone think that this is applicable for our day and age? Right? I mean, it's, it is so applicable. It's so perfect. Every single thing. It's like, all right, pass it on. Let it be known. Give, give out the word. Like, spread it out. Give it out to everyone you can. And let them reap the benefits. Right? It's greatly effective in our life, even 2,000 years later. And then he says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. What kind of grace? The grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. You're wondering what kind of grace he's looking for? The grace of Jesus. Did Jesus have very good grace? Oh, yeah. Right? He was unbelievably gracious, uh, and he did the greatest act, which led to the salvation, uh, the opportunity for salvation of mankind. It's by his grace. Right? So that grace is something, the grace of Jesus is for you, and it's in you. 
So we experience his grace. That's another thing that's really important when we're talking about being honest and transparent and dealing with our sin well. We receive the grace of God, but it's also in you so that you can receive others in grace, right? That's a little harder because people are annoying, right? It can be really annoying, really irritating. Yeah, so it's like, I told Tori, and this might not be the most romantic thing you ever heard in your life, but I, I they said, I, you're the first girl I've ever dated that I didn't get so insanely annoyed by after this many months. <laughs> you guys are like, that's terrible, and it's true. Now it's been 14 years. We just had our 14th anniversary this week. Yeah, I knew that was going to get an applause. Thank you, thank you. No, okay. But the idea is, I'm, I'm not annoyed, I really, but... It's so easy to be annoyed by people. People could get under your skin. You're like, you're in the way of my life. It's the grace we receive. It's the grace we give. This is a culture that is, it's a radical thing. And of course, we got to remind ourselves of the grace we've received, right? That's the grace. That's the forgiveness. You, we've been forgiven. We forgive, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this is grace. It's radical, Radical grace. And, it, and it's, it's very, very appealing when done right, when given right. Because um, everyone wants grace in their life. They, whether they know it or not, they, they really, really desire grace. Because we're all really hard on ourselves. You know, I think a lot of people who are the most critical on everything that they see in the world, it's because their life is an absolute mess. And so they're looking to solve a problem somewhere else other than in their own life. And, and it's the grace of God that rushes in and rescues us from feeling like we've got to do all of it so perfect. It's like, let the grace of God come in and transform you. And then you can live out that grace. And so you go, hey, you made a mistake today. That was pretty expected, wasn't it? <laughs> I make mistakes. You make mistakes. We're all going to offend each other at some point, by the way, you know. I'm sure I've said stuff that's been offensive. I actually have heard before. Sometimes people are so gracious as to tell you when you've offended them, you know. You go, okay, I'm sorry. You know what? We're all going to do that to each other. We're all going to say stuff that's offensive. We're all going to do stuff that's offensive. That's, that's not what it's about. We're people of grace. Hey, look, you made a mistake. I remember this guy at a, that I knew well. He, would, he had all these one-liners, and he said, hey, have a mistake on me today. It was like, a, it was kind of nice, you know? You're like, oh, yeah, okay. I burned it so quick. All right, that, that was my mistake. I used it. But the idea is like, it's a, it's, I'm not expecting you to be perfect. You're not expecting me to be perfect. We are looking to respond well when we see issues in our life. Lord, help me to respond to it all well. So that's how he closes this. He's encouraging this church, this young church, this baby church that has been forged by fire. They're awesome. They're, they're, they're killing it right? He's encouraging them. Guys, as you go forward, you know, let, don't stop the work of the Lord. If you think you've gotten there, I've been doing this for a lot of years. That's a dangerous statement, right? It's a dangerous statement. Lord, change me daily. Conform, conform me more into your image daily. Let my mind or let my, my spirit, let the spirit transform me from the inside out. Let my soul be transformed, my desires, my urges. So my mind, my, my desires, and let my body follow. That they would actually line up with who you are. 
be sanctified, blameless before you because of your great grace, and let me extend that grace to others. And to do it, we're going to need to be praying for each other. And, and, and by the way, the more you pray for each other, the more grace you have for each other. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, God, and, and um, just your, your radical grace in our lives. Lord, for the hope that's found in you. We thank you for your, your love. God, we thank you that you who started this in our lives, you want to complete it. You want to finish it. You want to continue it. So, Lord, help us to allow that. And where there's sin, that we would deal with it well. Even when it's like heinous, vile sin, we would just own it like Judah, you know, when we're confronted with it. That we would just, we realize it and we'd turn, you know. Same thing like David, like where he realized it and it was, He'd, he'd seen all of how it gotten stacked up, and you revealed it to him, and then he responds in a way uh, that's pleasing before you. So, Lord, we pray that you'd help us, keep us. Lord, uh, go before us. Lord, that we would love one another. we pray for one another. We'd have grace for one another. We would have grace for the world we live in. That we wouldn't look at it as like us versus them, but uh, a, a world that we are absolutely meant to invade with the goodness of God, with the kingdom principles, that we would bring, bring heaven to earth in our little pockets, in our little spheres of influence, that it would be undeniable who we belong to and whose we are and, and who we are. So God, we pray that you'd just do that in our lives and we thank you just for being so gracious to our church. Our, our community, our family here. We pray for those who are out today, Lord. We pray that you would be with them as, as many are traveling and all over the place. Lord, we pray that you would cover them too. That you build our church to be stronger and stronger, that we'd be lacking nothing. That our, our spirits would be encouraged and built up. That our souls, uh, our desires would be changed and that our, our bodies would reflect inward shift and growth. That we'd be, we would be living in life, not death. Thank you and praise you, God. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and worship.